Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. And good morning, church family. Oh, it's so good to be home. Did you miss us last week? Oh, tell the truth. Those were wonderful speakers. I loved hearing the testimonies and the opportunity to worship together with you online. We were in Newburgh, Oregon, and our daughter and son-in-law purchased their first home in Newburgh. And so we took the opportunity to help prepare their new home and to move boxes and to pack boxes. And it's hot in Portland. (laughs) And Teresa says this wasn't a real vacation. Somehow, I guess, I still owe her a vacation out of all of this, so maybe that will come later. I don't get it. I mean, ripping out carpets and what what could be better? And now I get to preach on going the second mile. We went hundreds of miles to rip out carpet, and so I think think, uh, this is a good topic for us. Just what came next in the Sermon on the Mount. I do want to invite you to turn with the Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to tackle today the last 11 verses, verse 38 to 48, and consider what the Lord has to say to us in this very last section of Matthew chapter 5. Going the extra mile. You know, I've been thinking about how grateful I am for God's Word. This past week, I read something in Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah offered this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Think about that, the ancient paths. Jeremiah wrote that 2,600 years ago. (laughs) And his law and what he has to say, what God says to us is always true. Something stable that we can stand on and walk on for a path. I don't know, I just took great comfort in that. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. And then this note from Jeremiah 6.16, but you'd have none of it. And isn't that true? I pray that we would have as much of it as we can get, (laughs) rather than none of it. And so as we are open to the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 5, I pray that our hearts are receptive, that our hearts are open to God's solid path and his ancient and narrow ways. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I would like to read from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 38. You've heard it said, so there's a reference to the old ancient path. You've heard it said in the law, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you for your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless the reading of his scripture. Amen. Please be seated. If you're like me and you're reading that, what sort of is troubling and jumps off the page is that very last statement. Just, just, just be perfect. This is how Jesus chooses to summarize what he's had to say so far in Matthew chapter 5 about the law. Just be perfect. I'll come back to this at the end of the message. But I want us to understand what's going on with this whole idea of just be perfect. As we've been seeing in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus wants us to know that he has not set aside the ancient paths. He hasn't let go of what he has already said in the past with regard to the way of honoring him and being exclusively in love with God and following his commands for our life. In fact, he says, I came to fulfill them. And so what we consistently see is Jesus quoting the Old Testament here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he's offering to us even a higher bar than just, if you will, the lower bar of the Old Testament. So he often says things like this. He says, uh, for you've heard it said, but I tell you. For you've heard it said, but I tell you. For you've heard it said, but I tell you. He says in verse 20, which is similar to the last verse we just read in verse 48, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So just be perfect. And the reason that I want to point all of this out is for us to understand in context what Jesus is saying about the law. He cites six specific laws in Matthew chapter 5, and he wants us to look at the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. This theme gets developed very thoroughly throughout the New Testament, if you're familiar with that. The letter of the law kills. If we're counting on our own righteousness to be good enough, we're in big, big trouble. <laughs> so Jesus is here trying to help us understand that as much as we try to follow the law, if that's all that we're doing, we've missed it. If we're looking to something that's external to rescue us, rather than God himself living in us and with us through the resurrection of Christ by grace. Boldly I approach his throne. Beautiful song. If we somehow substitute the rules for the relationship, we're going to miss the whole thing. I like to say that Jesus offers two ways of salvation. Did you know that? One is accept Jesus. Grace, just repent, admit that you're wrong, and receive his, his grace. That's Plan A. Plan B, just be perfect. <laughs> Do you get it? It comes straight from the Sermon on the Mount. Just be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So we kind of get to choose. And Jesus is inviting us to understand that there's a higher standard out there. And if we're measuring, we're missing the point. Jesus wants to go deeper with all of the good things that God has said to us that are intended to draw us into relationship more closely with him. 
to see behind the letter of the law into the heart of the law. Today's passage is a quote of two different Old Testament laws. The last two are the focus of these last verses of Matthew chapter 5. From Exodus, Jesus is quoting what the law says about revenge, and it talks about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a burn for a burn, wound for a wound, bruise for a bruise. And you wonder, wow, that sounds really brutal. Well, the Old Testament is brutal if you haven't read it. Because people are brutal. And what this law is intended to do is not to give you license to take somebody's hand off. It's license. It's to restrict you. It's not license. It's to restrict you from exceeding a punishment for something that's been done. Does that make sense? It's only an eye for an eye. It's only a tooth for a tooth, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're just looking at the letter of the law, <laughs> you say, well, this is a license to do this. You, you see the problem. And someone, of course, has said, eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, right? It's actually attributed to a number of different people. But it's true. And Jesus wants to exceed the law. He wants to go beyond the law. He says, don't focus on the minimum that you can do with, when it comes to you being wronged in this world. He's also quoting from Leviticus 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among you, your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So, so he says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, which implies those are the only ones, they're, that's how they're taking it. <laughs> they have heard it said, <laughs> interpreted this way, that you can disregard or treat differently the one who is not your neighbor. So Jesus said, it isn't, it isn't all about that. And he introduces the law, if you will, of love. He introduces the law of grace. And you've heard me say this many times from the pulpit. You're probably here many other times. Legalism asks, what must I do? Love asks, what can I do? And there's a big, big difference. So that's just the context of this one statement. And today's statement focus. I think this summarizes what Jesus is saying in, in this section of Scripture really well, is that if someone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile also. Because if you look around at the other passages there, so starting with verse 38, it says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone wants to sue you for your shirt, give them your coat also. And if anyone, anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. You see what Jesus is doing? He's doubling what it is that we might offer to someone. Let me make some simple points about what it means to go the second mile or to go the extra mile. This phrase has become common in our vocabulary, hasn't it? To go the extra mile. What did it mean in context for Jesus? Well, it meant what you would expect. Let me start with the expected of what's here. It's a call to exceed someone's expectations. Is that fair to say? If someone forces you to go one mile, if they slap you, they, they certainly don't expect you to respond with grace and humility. They expect you to punch them back. <laughs> Am I right? And Jesus said, that's, that's not exactly what the law meant. Eye for an eye, punch for a punch, tooth for a tooth. Oh, sorry, I knocked out two teeth. <laughs> It's to exceed someone's expectations. That's challenging to me in a sense because it's not about, I, I can't fulfill what Jesus said here by just 
exceeding what my expectations would be for grace, but what would the person who is forcing me to do something say isn't, is exceeding grace? You know, during his life, just to explain this, if someone forces you to go one mile, not children's pastors by any means, but if someone forces you, as Teresa referenced, as to start the service, to go one mile. During his life, Jesus lived under Roman rule. So the country of Israel was not independent. They were part of the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire used military might to expand their kingdom all over the place. And they were mighty powerful. And obviously, they did that through armies. And the way that they recruited people that they had conquered to join their army is that they would offer them incentives to be impressed into military service. They would offer them benefits available only to those who were willing to, well, turn their back on the nation, if you will. They were seen as traitors. What this is a reference to is the fact that these soldiers who had to carry packs that were up to 100 pounds could legally go to any Jewish national person and say to them, you must carry my pack a Roman mile, which is the equivalent of a thousand paces. That's something that they could do. They could force you to do if you were a Jewish person. You did not have a choice. If you refused to carry their pack for a mile, you would face the consequences. And they weren't very nice to people who showed rebellion to the Roman government. Now, you know, Soldiers are people too. And, and so we can understand how this is helpful to them to have someone else help carry the load from time to time and to walk a mile. But what I want you to see is that this was a requirement. I have to tell you, if, if I lived in this environment where I could be asked at any time for any reason, no matter what I was doing or had to do, to follow a Roman soldier with his pack up to 100 pounds, I'd be doing everything I could to duck the soldiers. Are you with me? I, I wouldn't be like Jesus that says, why don't you just carry it two miles? I have to tell you, Israel gets really hot. It's hot here. It gets really hot over there as well. And, and I would want to do everything I could. It's about exceeding someone's expectations. It's about obligation, actually. Does that make sense? In context, that's what he's talking about. If someone impresses upon you that you have to or you're forced to carry their pack, even though they're your enemy, even though they're someone who maybe turned their back on your country and the pride of your country to join the Roman army, you're forced to comply with their demand. This is the environment that Jesus is talking in. It's a call to exceed someone's expectations. I mean, imagine the surprise of a Roman soldier if you offered to go a second mile. It's also, now, when you go the second mile, there's lots of practical application, right? Going the second mile, it, it does fit the way it's used commonly in English now, too. That's a great thing for us to do for others, isn't it? To look for ways to serve others, to go above and beyond the minimum expectations, to bless others. It obviously helps someone else. It helps a Roman soldier who perhaps joined that army for reasons you don't understand. It's a blessing to them, but I also want to say this, number two, it's a blessing to the one not only who 
is receiving, it's a blessing to the one who is giving. When you and I begin to adopt the attitude of second-mile people, it is a blessing to the world around us, and the world around us needs some blessing right now. And it's a blessing to us as well. Why? Well, adversity develops character. Do you know this? Work develops character. We want to do everything we can to get out of work. But work is a blessing. It's something that can actually be good for us. I want to say this and go a little bit further in what having that attitude for someone that you can't stand and going out of your way to be kind to them and gracious to them, I want to, I want to go beyond that and I want to say that it actually expands your vision of your daily obligations. It expands your sense of the significance of your daily obligations. We don't live in a Roman-occupied country. We don't have the same expectation put upon us that way, but we all have obligations, don't we? This is about the law. It's about what we're forced to do, what we're expected to do. And to me, going the second mile, as Jesus commands us to do, to me, this is a call to change our attitude about the things that we have to do. Do you see it? It's, it's almost like this. It's like, not what do I have to do, but what do I get to do today? Have you ever tried this mental gymnastics in your own head? I don't have to do the laundry today. I get to do the laundry today. <laughs> well, there's some truth in it too, right? We have some laundry to do. <laughs> we have many modern conveniences that other people don't have to simply do their laundry. There's so many blessings. I think that it expands our sense of vision. We're doing a vision day here at Meridian Friends, September 25th. We want you to mark your calendars. I'm going to shamelessly plug at every opportunity I get. But I want to bring it up here because there's a, just a small paragraph in the opening chapter of a book by Andy Stanley called, and he called the book Visioneering. And he talks about the difference for someone of doing a mundane, ordinary task with a sense of purpose or without a sense of purpose. And the example he gives is someone who's filling up a sandbag. Does that sound like a, a charming job to you, like ripping out carpet maybe? Filling up a sandbag. And he says there's a difference for the person who is filling up a sandbag that doesn't know what it's going to be used for versus someone whose town is about to be flooded. And they are literally rescuing homes and businesses because they are urgently and, and doing important work filling sandbags. Do you, do you see the difference? That vision could give to us there are a lot of the same things just need to be done in a church environment. Isn't it true? I wouldn't call them an obligation, Teresa, I, but they are necessary if, if we value children's ministry as an example. And are we just filling sandbags or are we doing something that counts? Are we doing something that's really important? I say all this because I do think what I see Jesus doing in this is he's calling us to change our attitude. Do I have to do this term paper? You ever ask your professor or your teacher, how long does this paper have to be? They get that question all the time. It's a way of asking, what's the minimum that I can get away with? Teachers are pleasantly surprised when you go the second mile 
and you turn in twice the minimum requirement. Well, perhaps they are. <laughs> Could mean you're like me and a little too wordy. <laughs> Not edited enough. I don't know. But, but to show passion in our daily obligations is something that we can do as kingdom citizens because we don't just live for this world. We live for more, don't we? And Jesus is our example in this. He came as someone who loved other people. He came as a servant. We're called to be servants. The obvious thing that flows out of this to me is that going the second mile enhances our witness. Doesn't it? A lot of people really are deaf to our words when we mention churchy things. Like about our church service, or about the Bible, or about Jesus. And, and some of them could even cringe at hearing those things and worried that you are about to proselytize them somehow. But I think they're helpless against your kindness. Don't you? Jesus is saying something deeper. So I've given you what I think is expected. This is also about our witness. I think Jesus is saying something deeper when he tells his fellow Jewish conquered citizens who are living under an oppressive rule to be willing to go the second mile. Jesus combines this with the statement that if you are struck on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Jesus is saying the way to counter an aggressive and demanding person is to turn the other cheek rather than to hit back. So I just want to stop with you for a second. <laughs> and I want to ask you, is being a second-mile person really practical in this world? Do you believe it? Because Jesus says the godly way to counter someone who forces you to do something that you don't want to do is to do it with a different heart, not, not just the letter of the law, not just the minimum requirement of a thousand paces, count every one of them, but to have a new heart, to offer even twice what they've requested. I came across something insightful that I want to read to you from a writer, Nicholas Casey. To be asked to carry the pack for a soldier was demeaning. It was forced hard labor for no other reason than your heritage and your ethnicity. They knew their status was above you, and their demands reinforced the notion that the Jews were a conquered people. This was the definition of oppression, which makes the second half of Jesus' statement confusing. If going one mile was so brutal and humiliating, why would he tell us to go two miles? Just as refusing to carry a soldier's pack for a mile when ordered to do so was a crime punishable by imprisonment, that same law dictated that the soldier could only force a Jewish citizen to go one mile at the most. Did you get that? This works both ways. There were limits. The Roman Empire had to balance their desire to subjugate the citizenry with the need to discourage insurrection. You put too big of a burden on them, they're going to rise up and they know it. Jesus knew that Roman soldiers could force you to go one mile, 
but they could not make you go too. And just as a Jewish citizen would be jailed for refusing to carry a pack for a mile, the soldier could face consequences if the citizen were to carry that pack for more than a mile. Carrying a pack for the second mile is generous to the soldier, but it's also a way of challenging that soldier. The Roman soldier would be faced with a decision. Demand you stop or risk the possibility of punishment. Regardless of what option the soldier takes, he would be more hesitant to order another Jewish citizen to carry his gear. Being forced to carry a heavy pack for a mile was humiliating. The generous offer to carry it for a second mile shifts the humiliation to the soldier. Going the first mile robbed the Jewish citizen of their dignity. By going the second mile, they reclaimed their dignity. By going another mile, the Jewish citizen was demonstrating their humanity to a soldier who viewed them as a lower class of people. If a Roman soldier didn't want me to carry their pack a second mile, they shouldn't have asked me to carry it for the first mile. The same is true of being struck on the right cheek and offering the next cheek. It confronts your aggressor in a way that only grace can confront violence. Talk about a witness in a brutal world. So, so I asked you, well, turning the other cheek, is this really practical in this world? Maybe it's the only practical thing in this world because it is true. An eye for an eye leads to a blind world. And you and I, I believe, are called to be people who help change the environment around us. We are called to live out the grace of Jesus Christ. What I'm excited about with regard to the second mile is I feel like this is something I can do. When I gave my heart to Jesus when I was all of 17 years old, I just remember feeling that I want to do something with my life that really counts. I want all of who I am and all of what I have to make a difference for this Jesus who did everything for me. And just by disposition and personality and, and maybe dysfunction with regard to my background, I like these words because I'm sort of naturally like the second mile person. It's, it's really what I like to do. And some of us can identify. Some of you have the gifts, gifts, gift, gift of helps. S some of you just love to serve. This is what you do. It's, it's in your nature. So I guess what I, what I just love about this, what for me is the easy part, right? Doing something for you. That's just easy for me. I'd like to do that. If you want me to clean your office, I would do it. I have to restrain myself <laughs> and let you do your ministry your own way. Some of you know this really well about me. Now, this, this I like about this, this 
go the extra mile thing. I think everybody ought to live that way. I think every employee ought to be early and stay late. I think every employee ought to be the one to make the coffee and clean it up. I think every one of us should be that. And that's a great witness. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The harder part of it for me is this. Am I willing to bear humiliation? Because when I think about it, some of the going extra mile stuff, it's like ego to me. It's like I want you to admire me for doing that. And it sort of misses the mark of what Jesus is really saying here about going the second mile. Are you willing to go the second mile that Jesus went? And Jesus went the second mile to the cross. I want to find daily and practical ways of expressing this gospel of love, but that's what it is. It's a gospel of love, agape, self-sacrifice. If it doesn't cost us something, it isn't agape. That's where this gets really hard. Who are you called to love? There are two words in this passage in the Greek that are unique to this one passage, and that, that always fascinates me when that happens. This is the only time that these particular words are used in the New Testament. One of them is pronounced anagrusi, which means you were compelled to go or you were forced to go, so it's definitely an issue of being forced to go. It has everything to do with this Roman requirement. The other word is hupage, which means to be led away under someone else's authority. To be led away under someone else's authority. And as I think about this second mile stuff, I can't help but think about the cross. I can't help. You know, Jesus was crucified under a then-known form of legal capital punishment by the Roman government. We know that it was his own people that forced it. And actually, their method of execution is stoning. The Roman government used the cross. And in a sense, because of the crimes against the country, which is you would not renounce your kingship and who you claim to be. So for one, it was blasphemy. For another, it was a political threat. So in a sense, Jesus dying on the cross is this legal punishment for what he got. He was led away under someone else's authority. His name was Pontius Pilate. He tried to wash his hands of the whole thing. But that isn't really what Jesus did you get it? Jesus went to the cross out of love. And no one forced him to do that. This is the second mile that, that I think we're called to do. And if you're like me, you want to find practical ways, daily ways of expressing grace in a way that the world will hear it and receive it in your life. I want to leave us in a few minutes of open worship. I invite you to 
reflect, to pray, to ask Jesus to speak to your situation, maybe he'd do something like give you a practical project. Maybe there's a person who really rubs you the wrong way, but they need a carpet torn out. <laughs> I don't know in what practical way God may speak, but I pray that he does. And in this season, I'm praying that God speaks to our church as well about expanding our vision for how we can be useful to our community, to be kingdom people, to be second mile people. If you feel prompted to speak, we invite you to use the microphone here so that we can all hear you. Either way, let's attend to the fact that Jesus Christ is present and he longs to speak to us personally. So let's listen to him.